Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Just Bleed Radio. This is the Danger Hour and it's mouse o'clock so let's fucking go donks. Let's fucking go! And today I'll be joined by my usual co-conspirators, our man in Ohio, Lazy Bed. How you doing folks? The donk that kept me up until 4am recording the last show we did, our California boy, No Special. How you doing? And of course, the Midwest Batman himself, the one and only Super Dave Fairtex, and who knows, his friend Shatry or Stephen may make an appearance. Good afternoon and good evening, gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Today we'll be discussing the fights from UFC 293, the main and the co-mains, Laura Thanko's performance in the booth, and whatever else comes to mind along the way. Uh, of course, our first topic of conversation has to be the main event. One of the biggest upsets in USC history as Sean Strickland, as a 4 plus 450 underdog, defeats Israel Adesanya by a unanimous judge's decision 49-46. I love this fight, so I'm just going to dive straight in and the other donks can go follow along behind. Uh, I thought it started off great with the entire, the animals came in two by two, Sean Strickland walkout. I thought that was quite subtle and amusing. Uh, you know, and there was no who let the dogs out, as I heard suggested in a few places. Um, I thought that Sean looked really cool in the moment. He seemed to be enjoying himself, but he was clearly very focused, at least to my eyes. Uh, I know DT disagreed. He thought that Sean looked nervous, and I didn't get that impression at all. I thought he soaked in the moment, but he didn't let it get to him in any way at all. It was just another fight that he was going to, he was going to come in and do the mandas. Um, so we get the fight starts, first round, 30 seconds left, and uh, Sean lands that straight right, straight down the pipe, flips Izzy, knocks him down, uh, jumps on top of him, man- managed to land a couple of shots ground and pound, and then Izzy gets back up, and God bless Mark Goddard for not stopping the fight there. Uh, it could have been very easy for another ref to jump in and stop it, uh, because he, even as I was watching it, I was thinking is this going to get stopped here or not? Uh, but as I said, he read it perfectly well, allowed it to continue. And then we had Izzy come out in the second round, uh, and you start to wonder if the tide is turning because he clearly takes that round, unless, unless I'm getting mixed up, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, Izzy took the second. Uh, and then Nixit gives Sean some great advice in the corner and sends him back out with that don't get snake charmed, you, you know, pressure, pressure him. Uh, and after that, it was pretty much all Sean's fight, if I remember rightly. He kept Izzy just constantly pushed behind the uh, tram, uh, tram lines, uh, I, so much that I couldn't help but compare Izzy to a hamster. He was on a wheel just going round and round and round trying to escape, and every time there was just Sean cutting off the cage and piling pressure on him. Um, so. I did. I did try and watch. If I if I could have got my stopwatch working, I would have timed the amount of time that Izzy spent with both his feet inside the track lines. So he was, you know, towards the centre of the cage. And I, I bet it's not more than a, obviously in the round that he won, he spent some time there. But for the rest of it, he sometimes had one foot outside the tram lines, but a lot of the time he was just pushed back about against the fence, and he just couldn't get his game going. Uh, I've heard people say he looked flat. That's up to, I'll let other people discuss that one. Uh, I think it was as much as anything that Sean piled on the pressure and broke him. Uh, I think it, Sean just had a 
very good game plan. I know he didn't wrestle as he should have done, uh, but everything else, he just worked so well for him. Uh, everyone was scared that Izzy was going to, or believed, they weren't scared, they expected Izzy to beat Sean with uh, leg kicks and just beat his front leg up. And Sean dealt with it in a very similar way to um, Charles Oliveira when he fought Justin Gaethje. He just lifted his front leg and let him pass underneath for the most part. So that was fantastic. But basically, I think Sean beat um, Izzy with a jab, a left hook, and a, and a you know a straight right or two. Um, he threw one inside leg kick, at which in the first round, and then the rest of it was just those short pushing body kicks. Um, but I actually thought they had a little bit on those. They might have done more damage than people realised because you could hear Sean. Uh, kind of grunting, exhaling whenever he threw them. So just pure pressure, pressure performance from Sean. Um, his na- nickname now shouldn't be Tarzan. It should be Relentless. Uh, and his defense was just off the scale. And I, I just, again, comment from Izzy himself when he was in his corner, um, saying that he just couldn't hit him. He couldn't find his jab. It just, Sean just kept leaning out of the way. Uh, so. Uh, just a great performance from Sean and uh, Nixick as well, Eric Nixick as well, because he, he certainly had influence in that fight. Um, I thought great sportsmanship from Izzy, obviously knew he'd lost, never raised his hands, never complained, took the loss well. Um, and with that, I'll just pass things over to Lazybed, because I know for a fact that he wasn't uh, hoping for this victory in the same way that I was. And uh, with that, I'll shut up and pass it over. Thanks, guys. Well, well, well. Uh, sheesh. I'll say that. Uh, didn't see that coming. This At first, this, this whole thing wasn't sitting well with me. But after watching uh, Sean in the post-fight interview in the cage and then the post-fight press conference, I'm, I'm lessening my stance against him slightly uh but as some of the donks in here may or may not know some of the donks in the discord i tend to abstain from meat i don't like to eat meat but today i'm fucking eating tons of crow because i did not see this one coming uh i had izzy all fucking day long i did not give sean any chance and boy was i wrong uh i think this was the best sean strickland that we've ever seen hands down i don't remember a a single other performance quite as i'm not even sure how to word it but he was himself but he was a contained version of himself he was a a more focused more um game plan driven sean even though the game plan was supposedly to wrestle and he didn't uh much like danger was saying the cage control uh, the way he dictated the pace, constantly keeping Izzy on the back foot. I don't think Izzy had more than, you know, a couple of minutes throughout the fight where he wasn't backpedaling. Um, that shot in the first, of course, that led to the near stoppage. I think that kind of changed the complexion of the entire fight a little bit. Uh, I don't want to speak for Izzy, but I think that he didn't see that coming and when that happened it kind of took a little bit of the will a little bit of the fight out of him uh i can't take nothing away from sean at all 
from this performance, though. I mean, he went all five rounds. There was no bogus judging issues, none of that bullshit that we typically see. It wasn't a fluke stoppage. It was a straight-up fucking dominant performance. But my biggest takeaway, more so than Sean, is Nixick. Nixick is that fucking dude. He's that dude. He might be the top coach in MMA right now. Uh, the, the fucking motivation between rounds, the, the actual sound advice, being able to corral a guy like Sean in just enough to be himself, but to be a more calculated version of himself. Uh, as far as Izzy, I think he did look flat uh, in the fight and in his physique. He wasn't he? Didn't look like him typical his typical self. I don't know if that's uh, maybe he didn't take the fight seriously. Maybe a weird weight cut. Uh, I don't know, but I'm not going to make excuses for him because he fucking, he lost that fight easily. But my main question from all of this, not to derail anything, is who does Sean face next? Is it the winner of Chimaev Costa or does he wait for DDP? Uh, I think that's going to be something interesting to watch shake out in the future. And personally, I hope it's DDP just because I'd like to see both of them bludgeon the fuck out of each other. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. <laughs> So uh, with that, I guess we pass it on to uh, no special. All right. Uh, <laughs> first off, I wish I had put money on this. Uh, <laughs> I saw the lines. I think it was like plus a thousand for uh, Sean Strickland uh, unanimous decision, and I was kind of kicking myself in the you know in the ass right now. <laughs> I was looking at it. I think back a. Uh, on Saturday when the lines were open, you know, um, I don't know about you guys. There wasn't any inkling in my mind that Sean actually had a chance. And I know, I think we all discussed it previously, like that Sean shouldn't win this fight. He has like a puncher's chance, but that puncher's chance was very minimal at best. Izzy was supposed to be the more calculated, the more, you know, more experienced at the high level type of fighter championship level, the elite of this division. And um, I guess basics trumps um, everything, <laughs> apparently. I don't know about you guys, but I was looking at this fight and I'm just kind of flabbergasted at the intensity of which Strong Strickland had brought not just a not a brawl, but a calculated game, a measured game. And usually Sean doesn't show a calculated game in mo most of his fights. He's just kind of doing the basics, doesn't care if he gets hit. He shored up his defense. Izzy had no plan B, which was more surprising to me. Um, at a bare minimum, he should have had at least some kind of grappling exchange that he could expose. Strickland is a grappler by trade as well as being a decent striker, but he started out as a grappler in his career. I'm, I'm looking at the fight and I'm thinking, why didn't Izzy have a plan B? Was it because he was injured? Was it because that he just wasn't prepared for this fight? Was it because that he was actually rocked and that plan went out the window, as Mike Tyson would say? You know, everybody has a game plan until he gets punched in the face. I don't know. But to me, I'm just kind of still in shock. Not surprised at the result. I'm more surprised at the method of which it was performed. I did not think Sean had it in him. I'll, I'll be honest about that. I did not think Sean would be able to perform at this level of the elite. This was kind of surprising. I think uh, nobody was really picking him, even in our Discord. I think nobody actually gave him a chance. Um, 
it was surprising. It makes me wish Whitaker was in there with him because that would be a hell of a fun fight to watch. I would love to see DDP in there. And this divisional, I'm pretty sure, just got a reset, and I'm excited for it. If there's uh, anything else I'd, you know, I'm thinking of, I'm pretty sure it's just waiting for Kamzat to show up and probably put this whole division on its head as well. Um, I don't think I got anything else. Um, pretty sure Dave might, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I should start off and say, you know, I was dead wrong with the main event. Like uh, Danger was saying, he expected, or he, he thought a lot of people were saying that, you know, uh, Izzy would go in there and he could almost win the fight with leg kicks or at least set up a strong game with leg kicks. And I mean, I didn't even think that was important. I thought he'd be able to go in there, use his footwork, use his movement and do whatever he wanted. And like he could win the fight without leg kicks if he wanted. Um, you know, some people say that Izzy looked kind of flat or something might have been wrong, maybe a little off. And, you know, something might have been off, but I thought, I thought for the most part, he kind of moved and slid around like he normally does. He had the head movement like he normally does. I think, uh, I'm not sure if he's ever fought, like, just a straight fundamental fighter. Like Sean, just throwing those uh, straight strikes like that and kind of putting the forward pressure to him and just press, press, press straight shots, you know, occasional hook in there. Like, I don't, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that fought like that and Maybe that's all it takes. Like, maybe th- like that's all it took to shut down Izzy's game, and, like, no one ever th- uh, thought about it. And, you know, we got to give a lot of credit, like I said, to uh, Nick Sick. But I think a lot of it was just, uh, you know, that's kind of how Str- Sean Strickland always fights. Like, I think he gets the bulk of the credit on this one. Um, we, he might have undersold his – I think people are underselling the body kicks, so they didn't really pay attention to him that much. But, man, he was laying this front kick to the body over and over and over all night. And uh, I think I think that actually did quite a bit of damage. Like, it looked like Izzy might have been rocked a little bit to the body in round five. Uh, you know, Izzy just, uh, he didn't have, like you guys said, he didn't have any answers. And what I don't under, really understand is, like, you know, I don't train striking, but Sean walked forward a lot without striking and kind of pushed, uh, pressured Izzy's back to the cage. Why didn't Izzy ever try to walk forward and put pressure of his own? Like, I don't think at one moment in that fight he ever tried walking forward and coming at Sean. Like, is that something that he just never does in his fights or doesn't know how to do? Or maybe just after that rock and round one, he didn't feel confident in it. But, I mean, he seemed perfectly willing to just sit back there along the fence and uh, lose the fight and not really do anything explosive or you know, try to find any way out of it. I'm not sure. I didn't hear much of his corner advice in between the rounds. I don't know if his coaches maybe kind of felt him or, you know, I think mostly it's just maybe Izzy's been figured out. So that's pretty much all I got for that, I think. So I'll probably move on to the next topic and get things moving on unless uh, anyone else has anything they want to say about what we just heard. I would say that the one thing I would like to touch on with that is uh, the talk beforehand. Uh, specifically, I was watching the MMAI breakdown of uh, the Izzy and Strickland uh, fight, or what may be the Izzy and Strickland fight. And he, I believe it was him, he was talking about how Pareda was able to kind of corral Izzy into the corner pylons. 
and uh, sort of cut off his exits or determine where his exit path was going to take place. Um, and he was talking about how Nixic and Nixic's system, that, that's a big part of it. And, but my, my skepticism, and I think some other people's, was, was Sean going to be physical enough to, to execute the same sort of thing? And uh, I, I think it was shocking to see how well he was able to corral Izzy, to constantly keep him moving back like that. And like you said, to, to really dictate you know, his path of movement. And I think that was, that was really huge. That was super vital to the fight. He, he, t- he decided where the fight was going to take place. And uh, I, I didn't see that coming one bit. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of something that I, I wanted to say. Uh, you know, Sean's hands, they were memeing last night. I don't know if you saw the meme where there was like one with iCarly with their hands up, like how he used to go. And then there was another picture with Sean with his hands like Mayweather, like how he fights. And people were like saying how he leveled up. But man, I think that just kind of having that kind of style is like tailor made for Izzy because. Like some people said that Sean wasn't biting on the fence, but in round one, he was kind of biting on the fence. But the way that he holds his hands, he can like parry straight strikes so efficiently that he just kind of twitches them a little bit when Izzy does a feint. And so it doesn't really uh, look like much. And I think that and kind of him slipping a little bit is just, uh, I mean, it's kind of like the perfect system to beat uh, Izzy. And, you know, I hate to be a uh, Sunday afternoon analyst, but. I almost kind of think, like, why didn't we see this coming? Like, this kind of makes sense that it played out like that, if you think about it. But at the time, we all thought it wouldn't. I don't know if you noticed or not, talking about uh, reacting to the feints, uh, Sean was doing some very weird parries with his uh, left when Izzy was, I think, that, yeah, it must have been his left, when Izzy was fe- uh, fainting kicks on that side. He was kind of parrying, parrying as if he was parrying a low, a low a chest high body kick or whatever you want to think it. and then he was bringing his hands straight back up I think just in case of you know a question mark kick so it seemed to have been drilled into his defense uh, but he eventually didn't need that anyway because he pushed Izzy back and he never got the chance to throw that many kicks but I don't know if anyone noticed that or not oh no I did I think it um, a little bit Fucking say what you will about Strickland. The guy is a defensive wizard. I mean, yeah, he does shit that shouldn't work, and it fucking works every time. <laughs> minus, well, my, uh, not every time. Yeah, yeah. Minus, <laughs> minus, yeah. Uh, Alex Guerra still beats him. No, I Same think that's a. I think that's a closer fight. And then if you remember no, that fight, no, like, he, was still, he was doing the same thing. The difference was is that he had no respect for his power. That was it. With Izzy, Izzy doesn't knock you out cold, more or less. He has the ability to kind of stun you and then finish you. Whereas Alex yeah. Pereira just kind of boops you and you just kind of die in the cage. Yeah. You know, I, if we're looking at this fight, it, it's to me that the, the more the it the more thing that the, the biggest thing that stands out to me is realistically that Izzy didn't have a plan B. Like, I don't know if we've been you know, kind of looking at Izzy, but like when he fought Pereira, he at least had some inkling of a plan B. Uh, he, you know, initiates clinches against the fence or he has the ability to kind of lull, you know, Pereira into kind of like a sleeper counter. It, it, there's there's plans in place and traps that he could set. 
but like he almost had none of that for this fight. It it, it, it kind of it, felt like he legitimately just didn't have anything set up for anything to counter what Strickland was doing. Like he was just going to do his thing no matter what. Well, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Eugene Behrman, when he was in the press conference following the fight, he, he said they'd already planned for this fight and he didn't know how they'd plan for it again. So that doesn't look very good, uh, unless that really hints the fact that is he under underperformed. Mm-hmm. I do, yeah, I do yeah. wonder. Obviously, obviously, I think DC mentioned it in the broadcast. He's talking about Sean going and training with uh, Alex Pereira, and yep. uh, I think we mentioned it on Friday when we discussed the uh, fights. Yep. Uh, we wondered how much that might aid Sean, and it seems to have helped in at least some small way. But with that, I'll just unless anyone else wants to chuck anything, I'll pass it back to Dave. I think. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm a. Let's move it on to uh, the co-main event. Uh, Alexander Volkov submits Tai Tuivasa by an Ezekiel choke in round two at 4:37 into it, and uh, pretty damn impressive performance. Pretty damn solid fight all around. I mean, thinking about it, it was actually a really good fight for heavyweight. Like I don't. There was pretty good striking volume and variety of attacks and all that, and you don't get a lot of that at heavyweight. And uh, one thing I thought was interesting, I didn't notice when I first saw it, but then after watching Luke Thomas's breakdown, I went back. Not only was it an Ezekiel choke, but uh, Volkov kind of put his mouth or his hand over uh, Tuivasa's mouth and kind of like did like a suffocation type thing. Also, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, both fighters. Uh, displayed incredible toughness that was kind of almost like shocking to see. Like I thought Volkov's leg was done in round two. Like those kicks were like sudden and powerful. And uh, Tuivasa, he almost got finished at the end of the first round. And I mean, he just ate through so much damage and came back swinging and just did like a hell of a job and a loss. Like you can almost hold your head pretty high after that loss. I mean, I never thought he was like an elite fighter or anything like that. So being able to do that with uh, Volkov, who I think is approaching elite, is pretty damn impressive. Uh, it was a really good fight. I always enjoy it, but like when a tall, kind of lanky guy fights a shorter, uh, you know, stocky guy. I noticed that it looks like Volkov's using his, uh, he's fighting tall better now. Like he used to not fight like, like a tall fighter that well earlier in his UFC career. And uh, I was just, Totally ultra impressed with him all around, especially surviving those leg kicks. And then uh, the top control, like, I didn't know he had jits like that. Like, lots of times it's hard to maintain mount, even if you are tall. Like, it's hard to maintain that top control. And he got his, like, his fire, his hooks in or whatever. And just uh, his dominance on top was just uh, unexpected and very impressive. Um, what did you think about that fight, Danger Mouse? Yeah, I mean, for a heavyweight fight, it was a, a very fun one. Um, obviously, uh, I, 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 it was a coin flip one, as I said before. Um, I think heavyweight ones are, and with Ty being at home, I really did wonder if that might push him to do it. But uh, Volkov just handled the fight as a whole very well. Um, as you said, Ty was hammering him with those leg kicks. Uh, and at that, I guess around that time, he decided to take it to the ground. And 
we know the rest kind of thing that is Ezekiel's choke which I, I don't understand I, I'll be honest I, I don't really know it I, I only know it from what Laura Sanko said about it really I'll have to get get a video on what and figure out what the hell that is exactly but um, Ulf Krait tied to Ivata laughing and joking in the middle of the fight while they're exchanging uh, heavy blows uh, you've got to be some kind of crazy guy to have that kind of fighter mentality um, so yeah just uh, we could go back to Friday's uh, conversation again and discuss again whether either of these two guys is a contender for the uh, title. Uh, but other than that, I don't have anything to say. Uh, I'll pass it on to Lazybed. No, no, you know, uh, you guys pretty much touched on it already, but a surprisingly fun fight for heavyweight not fun in like a, a rock'em sock'em robot like beat em up type sense but a true kind of a tit for tat to a you know in a sense um but fucking the real takeaway drago fucking lives dude drago is back <laughs> volkov is still a fucking damn good heavyweight uh, a damn good contender when it when it comes to heavyweight uh yeah, it was basically, it, it was a toss-up, but it was still, in a sense, it was a, a fight where everything I expected to happen actually happened. And that's, that's not typically how any fights go, but especially not at heavyweight with those guys swinging leather the way they do. Uh, but I, I kind of anticipated, you know, Volkov being a little bit more, uh, you know, of the patient striker using his length, pick him off from distance. Some I didn't anticipate the leg kicks. The leg kicks was a new wrinkle from Ty that I think was, that was a good uh, new dimension from his game. But for the most part, Volkov did Volkov things. You know, he finally fought like a guy that's seven foot tall. So that was a plus for him. Uh, the ceiling, probably not a title. I don't think he's ever going to reach that. Uh, he is at the more elite level, but I don't know if he's ever going to quite see the strap. I do think he's a reliable main event guy, though. I think it was uh, no special said it on Friday. Uh, actually, in his question, he asked. But yeah, I think he's he's definitely a reliable main event guy for like fight nights, things like that. Um, I don't know if Ty, on the other hand, is really that guy anymore. Uh, three losses in a row. Via finish, it seems like, like we were saying actually in the previous fight, he doesn't have a plan B. I mean, it's it's swang and bang or it's nothing at all. Uh, it, it seems also kind of like he might have a little bit of like a confidence issue because I didn't see the same desire and the same will to fight once he got taken down. You know, granted he was mounted and everything, but it seemed by that point he'd pretty much you know, called it in and he was done for the day. Uh, I'd be interested in a possible lifestyle change or a camp move for him. Maybe cut out some of the fucking shoeies between fights. You know, get a little bit of fitness regimen in there. Uh, a camp move, not so much, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot about his camp. Uh, I'm not sure who exactly he trains with. I don't have it in front of me. But maybe just, you know, a, a move could do him some good. Get away from the... Uh, his hometown, get away from the party and scene, you know, uh, a change of scenery could do him some good. But uh, I say, unfortunately for Ty, he's maybe got one more chance. And if he, if he gets a, a fourth loss in a row, 
it could be curtains for him. Now, he's a pretty popular guy, so they might not go that way. But four losses in a row is kind of, that's rough. That's rough. So, uh, yeah, with that, I think we'll uh, pass it over to No Special. <sighs> what can I say? It hasn't already been said. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think the only other time an Ezekiel choke was performed at least at heavyweight in the UFC, was by Alexi Olenek, correct? And it's interesting yeah. that Alexander Volkov decided to pull that out of his uh, hat. <laughs> you know, another <laughs> tool belt or another tool in the tool belt, as they say. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much like we discussed on Friday, who is, you know, Alexander is here to pretty much stay uh, as a perennial contender. Uh, a future champion, probably not, but that's okay. That's uh, what heavyweight needs. Heavyweight needs guys who can basically show up, give you a show, you know, be pretty much ready to take on pretty much anybody in the division and honestly have a coin flip fight with them. I mean, Volkov is now on a three-fight win streak. I mean, Rosenstrike, uh, Alexander Romanov, and now tied to Ivasa. Granted, all three of those guys are kind of on the downside, but it's heavyweight. You know, guys will kind of flip-flop wins and losses. You know, it's just part of the division, unfortunately. Um, I... You could pretty much match him with anybody within the top ten, and you could pretty much have a you know interesting fight. You know, I, I, whether or not he gets a title shot is you know here or there. I, he gets one more, maybe he gets it. You know, but I, I think we're all on the same page. We're we're pretty much you know whereas we're looking at with uh, Volkov, you know, okay, he's here to stay. He's a perennial contender. We've kind of established that. Ty is. 29 maybe 30 he's young Probably enough smart. to figure yeah he, he 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 can figure it out the problem is is that i don't know if he can do that in the ufc we've seen it happen before where you know guys kind of you know hit you know low ends and you know all of a sudden get a couple of wins underneath their belt and all of a sudden they're contenders again i it's heavyweight though so if he's going to try to do that he has to take lower level fights I can't, I can't promise that he will get those, especially being in the UFC, being a guy you could put on a co-main event. I, I'm hoping that the UFC kind of sees where he's at, gives him a couple lower-level guys. Unfortunately, that might also mean that he might have to take a lower-level uh, pay, um, which would be unfortunate for him. But if he wants to stay in the UFC, this is kind of like one of his few options. It's either that or... Maybe join the PFL at some point. You know, there's a million dollar tournament over there. He might like his odds over there. Uh, I don't think I got anything else to add to this, unfortunately, because it's just more disappointing that ties at this point in his career, considering he's a, a younger heavyweight. Um, I don't think I have anything else. I'll tell you this, uh, Ty, maybe PFL, but you know, you got. Francis over there, and they might bring over a big name to fight Francis, and I don't think Tuivas is that guy. If you ask me, he seems like tailor-made for BKFC. His style would be perfect in that organization. I think he should... I mean, I don't, I don't think the UFC will cut him after another loss, because, I mean, like, Blood Diamond's still fighting. Like, what are we doing? But <laughs> I think he should start pursuing other things, because I think he can make big money and other organizations, and uh, but he make two oh five. No, no, he's no. a big boy. He no. walked in, I think, at about two sixty five. 
I was just curious. Obviously, he carries a fair amount of fat on him. Or, you know, he's not I a mean, most muscular heavyweight, should I say? I say that. But Daniel Cormier weighed in, I think, about 240, 250 uh, when he was fighting in uh, Strike Force and, uh, and the UFC when he first started fighting at heavyweight. I mean, he can probably do it. The problem is, is that it might take him a year and a half, maybe two, to finally get on that diet that, you know, to get the results that he needs. That also requires a camp change as well as the, you know, the diet that, you know, is needed to unfortunately sustain that. That so, sounds like what I said there. That sounds pretty similar. I mean, unfortunately, I have to copy you because there's not a whole lot to drink that's positive. <laughs> no, it's, I'm saying it's a good thing. I mean, uh, I do think that a change of location, a change of team, and a change in diet, obviously, lifestyle, would really do him some fucking good. And at what better time than now? You know, you, you still are young. You're coming off three losses like that. It takes some fucking time away. Heal up. You know, if you're going to make change, now is, uh, the window is closing. So mm-hmm. jump on it. So uh, BKFC it is. BKFC or bust for uh, Shuhi Rasa. He <laughs> could become the Australian Alvey. Oh, no. <laughs> No. Uh, oh, I just have to. I have to come at Lazy Bed real quick because he was coming at no special. Um, we appreciate double posts in uh, this oh, yeah. NK Discord. So go ahead and double post all you want during no special. Don't listen to him. I've already been reprimanded for this one already. So. Oh, so it's a pattern. Yeah, apparently I'm a repeat offender. Yeah. You get a check mark next to your name on my blackboard, buddy. <laughs> I'm actually, you know, I'm not mad about it. He was echoing my sentiments. So, uh, but yeah, like I said, there wasn't a whole lot to take away from Ty's performance because that's the thing is that Volkov showed up, and the fact that he brought in a grappling game, which he usually doesn't do, like his last three fights, kind of proved that he's he's kind of he's willing to put in the work, and now he's here to stay, right? If I'm not mistaken, this, I mean, it's three fights in a row for him. All he needs is one more, and he's got a title fight. It's got to be against his name, though. Who do you put him up against? I guess is the thing. Yeah, I see. That, that was kind of my, my, my question coming into this, though, is, uh, you know, you would think another win, a de- another good win, would get him the shot. But with Jones being the champion right now, and, of course, you know, him and Stipe having their fight coming up, is he really at that level where you could say, you know, he's the next guy in line to face them? Volkov? Is yeah. Volkov that guy? Yeah. If he beats Derek Lewis, he is. I'll tell you what, that's the fight to do. You booked a rematch with Derek Lewis. He should have won that fight. He got KO'd at the end. Derek Lewis looked great in his last fight. Run it back. If he wins, put him in there. Well, that would mean he has loses, losses against Surreal Gun. Um... Uh, yeah, Derek Lewis, um, Curtis Blades, uh, I would say Tom Aspinall as well. And all three of them are young guys. You know, he has a win over Ty. It's great. I think he just needs it. Derek Lewis is barely coming off of a win where he looked, you know, 30 seconds. What, what else could have happened had that knee not landed, you know? 
But, I think you're you're out of your damn mind if you think a Derek Lewis win gets Volkov the next heavyweight title shot. You can't. I, I'm him. not saying it. That's Dave. That's well, Dave. no, no, Dave, no, no I'm I got Dave, good reasoning for it. Who else is deserving? Like you could say gone, but gone shit the bed so bad. If Jones is champion, that would run that one back. There's a guy named Tom Aspinall who's on a fucking tear. You got fucking. Uh, is he on a tear? I thought he was on a one fight win streak. Pavlovich. I mean. You got guys. Tom Aspinall is on a one-fight win streak. Yeah, I think I think Pavlovich. I think Pavlovich will have his title shot before uh, a Volkov win. I'm assuming he will have already had a title shot before uh, Volkov gets his next win, or before he'd be if eligible we, to fight for championship. If we get Bronze there, going to need I mean, to do more to get another fight. If he's uh, if Jones is still the champion, so well, that, it that, makes sense. That, you guys uh, are just anti-Russian. <laughs> it's not that we're not anti-Russian. I mean, the, the Russians oh, are Russians. I'm not. I'm not oh, saying that. What, what I am. No, that saying, was lazy. That was not liking it, right? He's yeah, got this but, weird thing with Jan Paul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How can you say? I'm yeah, no, I, I, see, I get what you're putting down. How am I anti-Russian? Anti Jan Paul. I'm pro Jan Paul. How can I be anti-Russian? Are you pro Jan Paul? I mean, I'm pro Jan Paul in my poll. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm just saying I'll, I'll just say this I'll, I'll just say this I, I, I'm looking at the division right now and there's plenty of names you can kind of throw at the top because we A Stipe is probably going to retire regardless John Jones has been threatening retirement which I think is stupid but whatever you know like you're, someone's going to have to fight for the title whether or not it's gone Aspinall uh, Pavlovich you know Alexander Volkov can now throw his name in the hat because, A, he's a ranked heavyweight with the win streak. Yeah, he might not have the names. Ty is a name now. Granted, he's also coming off of three losses, but that's what heavyweight is. It's a mess, especially when you got champions who are retiring and leaving at the same time. You know, you could literally throw any one of those four names, Aspinall, uh, uh, Volkov, uh, Pavlovich, now gone, you know, all four of them can end in any form whatsoever you can throw into the title fight. And it would, it would all be the same. I think that the most interesting takeaway from this is that if you would have asked us yesterday or two days ago or say on Friday's show, uh, what, who were the heavyweights that in this handful that we're speaking about at the top that you could throw anyone out of, throw any one of them at the title shot, Volkov wouldn't have been in that conversation. I don't think we would have talked about Pavlovich, we would have talked about gone. We would have talked about Aspinall, but I don't think we would have mentioned Volkov's name. So this win, it, it does mean something. Mm-hmm. Pretty good point. I don't, I don't think we. Well, I think we did pretty much rule him out on Fridays. It was, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I think we did. Well, I picked him so. <laughs> <laughs> and also the other shout out for Volkov, best back tat in the UFC. Nothing tops that, and I don't even like tats that much. It is a good. Wasn't it a Mary at one point? Wasn't it what? It was a Manoray, wasn't it? It was something before it was the uh, cool one. Like yeah, he had yeah. a cover up done. So that's and, a and it's great. Up. I agree. Yeah. No shit. Well, a cover up and an, an addition, a huge addition too. Yeah. Like I think before the tattoo was only maybe like upper back or something. Yeah, it was like a giant manoray or something like that. Uh, and it was just like, uh, it covered it almost like how Tony Ferguson's wings kind of go over his back and 
Max Holloway's does, mm. then the giant mask pretty much comes in, and you're like, oh, he's a big man with a big back. That's a lot of ink. <laughs> big man, big back. I guess as long as it didn't start as a tramp stamp, then that's all right. Uh, there's yeah. a couple of those out there. <laughs> yeah. Alexander Volkov with a whale tail, that'd be a sight. Ooh. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Now that's Jan Paul. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's that. And I'm let's bring it on to uh, our, you know, feature bout of the evening, Manel Cape versus Felipe Dos Santos. Now, I'm going to be honest here. I did not particularly like uh, Dos Santos's chances, but um, I was just merely hoping for an upset, mainly because it felt like Manel Cape had taken his eyes off the fight, you know, or his eyes off the ball, if you say. Looking at this fight, there's no chance that Manel Cape should have lost this fight. But I was going to say, you know, Dos Santos came to fight. He nearly upset Manel Cape. I was actually thoroughly surprised at how well he brought the fight, being this 22, 23-year-old coming out of shooter box, if I'm not mistaken. The blonde hair kind of tells you he's on Oliver's team, so that's that. And realistically, this was honestly the fight of the night, in my opinion. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I was actually super excited watching this fight. And seeing this kid kind of take the damage, even though he was supposed to be yeah, he's a late replacement. He should have honestly never been competitive with Manel Cape, especially Cape coming from Ryzen and having, you know, the kind of performances that you kind of would look at him and think, you're kind of lacking something. You know, he's not championship material just yet, but he'd been a champion in Ryzen, and that's fine. You know, he struggled here in the UFC. He got a couple wins now, but, you know, the last couple of fights have been canceled due to pullouts or injuries uh, on the opponent's part. Cape was super frustrated trying to take it out on the crowd and, you know, nearly lost, you know, his place in the rankings more or less and probably maybe would have, you know, lost an opportunity at a title, you know, in the very near future. But I'm actually super stoked for this kid showing up the way he did, putting on a performance the way he did. I, I believe he was scheduled to be on uh, the Contender Series, if I'm not mistaken, and they just basically yanked him, put him on the card, said good luck, you know, sink or swim kid, and he – He's, he swam. I'll give him that. He, he fucking swam. <laughs> but I was just, I was super not sure what to think of this fight coming in, especially it being a feature bout on the card. And you know what? I'm happy they had it there and ended up turning out to be a great event because of it. And you know what? I hope each one of those guys got 50K because of that fight. I'll pass it over to you, Dave, because I ain't got nothing else to say about this fight. Yeah, so I went into this fight not knowing a ton about either guy. Um, I picked Dos Santos. I didn't know he was making his, Uf de his UFC debut. I just saw he was undefeated, and, and he was from that gym, and he had blonde hair. And so I figured, you know, he might have a good chance to get capped and be able to get it done. Um, once I found out that he was making his debut, I was just kind of blown away with the fight. I mean, both of them actually look pretty damn good in this fight. And this is like the 12th-ranked flyweight and an unranked flyaway. And I mean, just the overall skills that I saw out of these guys, like, it's just crazy how talented they are down there. Um, 
bananas fight. Both fighters getting rocked like multiple times. Obviously, Dos Santos getting the worst of it. Uh, just like both those fight styles like mesh together perfectly. Uh, just to make a fun, exciting fight with lots of damage. Uh, I don't know what the hell happened after the fight. It's actually funny because Cat uh, predicted that he would drop the uh, F-bomb in his post-fight interview just kind of fucking around. And then he actually did that. I don't know what's going on down there. He was the most hated guy in Australia, allegedly, before this fight because of whatever he was doing. And uh, that doesn't really help his case. Um, I know a while ago, UFC actually fined Nate Diaz and maybe even Bisbing for using that. And it was on a much smaller platform. I'm curious if there will be any repercussions. I mean, I don't really care. But I'm curious. And, uh, all right, with that, I'll pass it on to Danger Mouse. I thought it was a great fun fight. Um, like Dave, I didn't really know very much about it, although I think it was uh, no special who gave, gave me an education on Friday uh, on the fight. Uh, yeah, just fantastic. I, I had heard of, uh, sorry, I hadn't heard of Dos Santos, but I was aware that there was a fighter in uh, this card would come from Dana White's Contender Series or should have been fighting there. Uh, so, yeah, very, very impressed with that uh, young man. Uh, I can't really say much more that hasn't already been said. Uh, I thought DC pulling the mic away from uh, Cap at Cape at the end was pretty funny. Uh, it just makes me wonder, do, do cards in Australia make people swear more? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I got nothing else on that one. So uh, I'll just pass it on to Lazy Bed and he can put it to, he can put it to bed. <laughs> That's one thing I'm pretty good at. Uh, I think you guys pretty much touched on just about everything. My my big thing this fight, and I kind of, uh, I think it's a good little take, is that Top is sort of like the flyweight Strickland. He's a fucking no-filter, angry little man. He just fucking says whatever he's fucking feeling. He's got no regard for fucking political correctness or nothing like that. Uh it's a little bit dicey dicey not gonna lie but yeah he's a fun guy he's a fun guy to watch he fights like he's fucking six foot five despite his size uh but he gets hit like it too he was fucking taking some shots so the defense didn't look very great but the offense did uh and you, you guys mentioned earlier is his uh past and rising which uh if you didn't know he fought in shoes some of the time which that's a weird little tidbit so he was saying when he came into uh, the UFC that he actually had to slightly relearn how to put power on his shots because he didn't have the traction of his shoes anymore. Um, but Dos Santos, you know, hell of a showing by him. Like you guys touched on coming out of the Contender Series. Uh, I was wondering if the nerves were going to get to him a little bit. You're in a fucking packed house on the main card of a pay-per-view for your fucking debut bout in the UFC. It's a bit extreme, but he handled the pressure really well. Uh, I was pretty impressed. Uh, true shoot-a-box fighter. Uh, he's basically like a little mini Oliver out there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a bright future ahead of him. And uh, mainly, I would love, love, love to see Manel Cop and Kai Car France rebooked. That would be a fucking banger. So I'm sad that that fight went away, but uh, I'd really love to see that rebooked in the future. Because I think those two dudes would put on a hell of a fucking show. Especially with all the heat that's on the fight now. So, 
I would love to see something like that. Uh, maybe the next time they're uh, down under. I don't know if that's going to be any time in the future. But I'll fucking watch it anywhere. I'd watch them fight in the back alley. <laughs> but yeah that's pretty much that's my thoughts on that so unless anybody else has uh, some more they'd like to add we'll move it along here uh, real quick it, it was concussion symptoms that took Kai uh, out of the fight correct yes yes okay uh, considering Kate took a decent amount of damage and I'm imagining he also had to take time to make weight. Uh, Kai probably gets better by the time uh, from his symptoms as well uh, as uh, Cape, uh, you know, getting uh, back to healthiness. Uh, They'll probably hold off on booking anybody with either of them, ideally. But we know how the UFC likes to book fights. You know, hey, are you available? Yes or no, you know, especially with the flyweight division. You know, they kind of seem to throw rocks at a wall and hope one of them sticks. <laughs> yeah. Talk about that, though. Fucking flyweights put on a show. Who would have seen that come? I mean, I, they... <laughs> I mean, they're usually exciting fights. They're high-level fighters. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on them, but that was a fucking scrap, dude. They were fucking going at it. Yeah. I think DC, it was DC who said um, that they, you were starting to see more knockouts. It, they were getting power from somewhere. So I know we didn't get a knockout in that fight, but there was definitely hard leather being thrown. Uh, Both of them got wobbled. The one thing I did wonder for Santos, and I, I, it's kind of a rhetorical question, um, is a loss on a UFC main card uh, better than a win on Dana White's Contender Series? 100%. Yes. 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 I As think he can't, that... he, I think the problem is is that he can't go backwards now though. Like he's in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that's true too. It's all tough in here, but kind of a double edged sword sort of scenario where uh you know he, he got that popularity boost from last night despite the loss, but now you're swimming with the sharks, dude. There ain't no more uh there ain't no more contender series bouts in your future. Yeah. Unless you get cut. I, <laughs> what, I mean, what, was, uh, what was Manel Cap rate, rated? 12. 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, so you can fight whoever's at number 15, I guess. Or even just outside of it, just to get a win. I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC puts up a relatively you know, newcomer in the UFC against him. You know? Mm, blood yeah. versus blood, as it were, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt, too. I mean, yeah, he's 22-23. Just give him experience. He doesn't need to, you know, fight the top 10 guys right now. He just he, he just took a hard loss. I mean, not a bad loss. He just, you know, he got worked a little bit, you know. And he showed up. I mean, you can't take anything from him. Like, that's the thing, is that he came to fight, and that's the thing you're kind of happy about. Like this dude, he looks good. It's dropped a little too much for my liking. Granted, he was fighting Cap, who's actually a decent striker and can carry power at flyweight. Yeah. You just want to see him get at least three or four wins, maybe just fights in general. I don't really care if he wins or loses, as long as he's showing that he's improving. You know, 
tucking that chin a little bit, not getting overextended, willing to grapple a little bit more than go to your back, you know, grappling against the cage more often than not. I'm not trying to say he needs to be a Holly home in there, but you know, don't lean on your chin. Don't lean on your chin, especially at this division, you know, a lot of the flyweights now can carry a little bit of power with them. So let's just round the, or, you know, sharpen the tools just a little bit, you know, would it hurt? Plenty of time for it. Mm-hmm. Great, great showing for a young talent right there, despite the loss. I mean, I'm pretty sure it did get fight of the night, did it not? That I don't know. I believe so. I believe so. My 50 grand, you know, can't hurt, right? <laughs> yeah. No. Take that back to the favela. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right well with that uh, I think I'll lead us into our next topic of the day and it's looking like that's going to be our overall fight of the night uh, outside of the ones we've already discussed uh, me personally I had a bit of a hard time deciding uh, which one there was a lot of finishes last night uh, kind of shocking a lot, a lot of people were saying that Myself included, that this card may not be the most entertaining, but I think it, it ended up being a pleasant surprise. Uh, but for me, I'd have to lean towards my pick from Friday's show, uh, Chepe Matascal versus Jack Jenkins. Uh, I had my reservations actually on Jack going into this because uh, I picked him in the Discord, and I was pretty unsure when I was making the picks because Chepe's a fucking beast. That dude has got the dog in him. P.S. I'm glad that's over and we can say that again without it meaning something else. Uh, <laughs> but Tepe, he's, I don't know. It, the record might not have shown it. He, he might not have seemed like the, the cleanest in any one area coming in, but the guy's got heart. He's got something that you can't just put your finger on and, and it's, it's not tangible. It's, a, it's an intangible. And he's got it. He's got the fucking dog in him. And I'm happy for Chepe. I'm happy that he got this W. Uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's not it's not really over for Jenkins, uh, even though that was a nasty, nasty uh, submission. But he, he's got some, some, some work to do ahead of him. But I think he's, if anyone's capable of getting it done, it's him because he, he's a beast himself. So, yeah, I'd say... Uh, my overall fight of the night, outside of the ones we've discussed, have to be Chepe versus Jack. I don't know. I don't know. How do you feel about that, Dave? What's yours? Uh, um, that's that's really tough. There were so many good fights. Um, I'm gonna have to go with uh, man, that's so hard. Um. Hold on, I gotta edit this out. I wasn't expecting to go. I thought it was uh Yeah, I might have dude's turn. Not to you. <laughs> Who was I supposed to go to? Does it um it doesn't uh, no, really uh, matter so. unless as long as it has to end with me, all that really matters. Are we still doing because isn't this like the last uh lead off sort no. of a deal? No, we've oh. got to Laura no, Sanko Danger to Mouse discuss hasn't gone last yet. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Well, who should I throw to then? 
Well, I'll just go because you asked me, and then I'll go to Austin, and then he can go to Danger Mouse. Yeah. yeah that All right, so uh, this was a really hard one for me. There was so many good fights, but I think I will probably have to go with um, the Carlos Olberg fight. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good performance. It was actually kind of slow, but, uh, you know, people were talking about how Carlos wasn't uh, throwing enough and all that. But I kind of like watching fighters, like, look and just kind of go for the fight-ending strike and not always throwing all that kind of volume. And one thing that really stood about that stood out about this fight to me is it looked like he got the submission towards the end of the fight, but the ref didn't see the tap, and uh, the Herb Dean or whoever didn't stop it until the clock actually went off. So the guy got choked for, I think he might actually got out of the choke, but uh, you know the guy did tap, and they ended up using the review process since the fight was stopped and ended up rewarding him with a submission win. And so I thought. Uh, that particular scenario and also just his fight style and then, uh, you know, him landing some good strikes before that, that was just kind of uh, really fun for me to watch and to see the commission get it right. I mean, they fuck up so much. I got to uh, reward them when they do it right. So uh, great job by them. If you want to get uh, no specials input. Uh, if you're going to ask me, First, I got a rebuttal to um, Lazy's here. Um, if we're going to be rewarding people off of, uh, you know, injuries uh, for wins, you know, giving them TKOs and whatnot because he happened to hyperextend his uh, his uh, entire elbow and uh, dislocated and whatnot, we could probably not try to hit him in the back of the head as he's already screaming out of pain. <laughs> That's the only thing I'd say. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I'd ask for that. But, uh, you know, Cheppy's the real deal. I'll give him that. Um, really wish Jenkins had been able to perform a little bit more compared to how we, you know, we were unfortunately, you know, saw how the fight ended. Um, however, I will say um, Nazrak Hashpras honestly showing up and putting on a performance against a young guy coming off of the um, Conor McGregor, uh, Chad, uh, Michael Chandler uh, Ultimate Fighter Series currently. Um, and just putting the wood to this kid and uh, Nazrak has for us is not very old himself, but he, he showed up and he looked pretty good. I mean, granted it's a, no, no, it's a showcase fight, but Hey, I, I was thoroughly impressed that he was able to put on the performance considering that, you know, he had not looked up to scruff in his last couple that kind of, you know, surprised me. I was happy to see him kind of get a win, you know, get a you know another one on the on the board and hopefully be able to improve i don't know what his training situation is i know his mom passed uh, not too long ago i was happy to see him get a win um and you know show out like he should you know that's the guy we saw you know he's mini kelly gaslam for a reason i was happy to see him perform the way he did um there's there was another one i was going to say but i'll save that one for later i'll give it to a danger yeah, uh, I, I think again, going back to last show, uh, I said this card was a five or a six, and it's proved to be far, far beyond that. Although I did say that if the Aussie crowd brought it, uh, it, it could be a good show. Uh, so many knockouts, finishes, hardly any. I think there were only a couple of uh, decisions. Um, so lots to pick from. Uh, but I, I'll go a different way to some of you guys. It's not an entirely serious um, 
pick, I guess, in certain respects. But uh, I will give a shout out to, um, just let me find what I've put down there. So, yeah, it was a pretty good card, as it turned out. I know I think not many of us rated it as being a likely very high scorer. Um, forgive I gave it a 7.5. I was just about to say I thought someone rated it about 7.5, but I wasn't sure who. Uh, so, yeah, overturned expectations, especially, obviously, with the final result. I'll stay away from the ones the guys have already picked. Uh, I'll give a kind of jokey one. I'll give to Kevin Ducey, uh, who defeated Kiefer Crosby uh, via a first-round submission with his rear naked choke. Uh, I think he deserves it just for coming out to Eminem, I'm Not Afraid. <laughs> Banger. There were multiple Eminem walkouts last night. Yeah, there was Till I Collapse as well. Um, yeah. But he lost, so I couldn't yeah, pick him. No, yeah, you don't know, <laughs> mention the ones that did. <laughs> Disgraceful. Uh, the Pleasure Man had a good loss. Um, that was a pretty good fight. He was actually looking good, and he kind of got Caleb pretty good. Or Tyson Pedro, yeah, that that was going to be my serious one. Mm. I thought I thought he did did very well. He just his striking was mint the whole way through. He even said it himself afterwards. Said his right hand has been on point all all training camp, and he showed it in that fight. So yeah, really really nice finish. There was a so, uh, yeah. a little bit of an interesting tidbit last night from the post fight press conference when Behrman filled in for Izzy. Somebody asked them. Uh, uh about i think it was i think it was alberg uh he had a bum knee coming into the fight that they didn't discuss or disclose to anyone and supposedly for like two the two weeks leading up to the fight like he could barely get around on that knee <sighs> but he fucking won but, yeah I... <laughs> I mean, right? Like, if you're not healthy, don't take the fight. I mean, even if you know it's not in your best interest. I mean, you look, you look capable. If he's yeah, had it on me, I guess it. No, yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, at bare minimum, he just kind of looked like he was more loose than he should have been. I don't know if that's just a product of him being in there with Strickland, or if that was just you know maybe he wasn't trying to put too much pressure on the knee. No, 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 not Izzy Olberg, Olberg. Albert, oh, I'm sorry, I, I misheard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, somebody asked him afterwards in the presser about him, and it just it just happened to come up. I I don't really put that much into it. Like as it turns out, I think knees aren't really necessary for MMA. <laughs> like, at least that's what the patterns show. Like, people thought. Like, I don't think he did, but people thought Tiago Santos beat Jones, or at least went really good with him. And I think his knees were gone by round two. Usman hasn't had knees in 30 years, and he's been a champ for, or he was a champ for a long time. So I think fighters, like, I don't know that much about, like, ligaments and all that shit, but I think they can compete surprisingly well well with, like, a torn ACL or MCL or whatever. I'll rebuttal that real quick. Um, Santos, by definition, is his own explanation of that you do need ligaments because he hasn't won a fight since then. <laughs> um I've had a ligament tear on my meniscus and um it, it hampered me when I wrestled and uh it, it sucks. Uh I would say 
it's not a complete tear or it's not so much the pull. What it is is that it hampers your mobility. And then if it tears, you're basically, the more you put, you know, effort or work in or stress, just a, just general stress on it, you're going to put more emphasis on being able to tear it just because it's already torn or, you know, strained, it's going to get worse. You well, need what, movement. What, what a- like what but, about what Francis did to Gon? Like he fought that without the knees or the one knee. He also he also like, had enough uh, in between time to let his leg heal just enough. That's the difference. Is that he was basically allowing as much healing as he could just to get to the fight. And by the time he showed up, he had just enough to get through it, which is why he still hasn't fought. <laughs> it is Strickland's, a missing, Strickland's missing part of his kneecap. He just won the belt. <laughs> He still has a kneecap, though. He has. He still has it, and I'm imagining he had. He was off for a year and a half too. So, <laughs> yeah, two, I think it's two years. Uh, missing yeah. part of his quad as well, I believe. He was showing that to Joe Rogan. Don't uh, a lot of people attribute uh, Kevin Lee's downfall to his knees? Mm-hmm. Well, look at Zion Clark. Proof. He's undefeated in MMA. He's got no legs at all. Yeah. He's... <laughs> God, God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> well, I think we might. I think I might want to move it on now onto our next topic of uh, conversation. And yeah. Uh, yeah. just Laura Sanko. Uh, I thought she had a fantastic performance. Absolutely great performance in the booth tonight. Uh, it's her first time. Do, it was it was her first time doing a pay per view, and she absolutely hit absolutely hit it for six, or as you Americans would say, slammed it out of the park. Uh, I actually thought she brought the UFC booth out of what was a bit of a slump because it has been turning uh, more into a you know fight companion uh, kind of commentary, uh, the kind of shit we'd do if we were uh, watching uh, the UFC. Uh, and I don't hate that kind of stuff. Uh, I think I don't mind when it's a little more casual, but uh, I think that uh, Laura shone through on this broadcast. Uh, Alex uh, Anik is always great. DC was good too, as far as I can recall. Uh, maybe he was kept under control by not having uh, one of the other uh, boys around. Uh, but for me, Laura, Laura was the MVP of the show, uh, and I'm glad to see that Dana acknowledged her as well. So I don't think we'll go a huge amount on this one, but uh, I'll throw it over to the Lazy. You might as well see if he wants to say anything on it. Oh, well. Miss Sanko, Miss Sanko, Miss Sanko. She did a great job. Uh, uh, I don't have a, a whole lot to say about it, and I think that's actually a positive because the, the fact that I have very little to say about it means that she fit in really naturally. It was pretty seamless. Uh, she she added a good depth. She usually always does. I like her work on Contender Series. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I didn't take a whole, way, a whole lot away from the broadcast, uh, mainly because I was tuning in and out doing other stuff but all in all you know i thought she did a really good job i was in support of her you know getting this gig before and even more so now and uh like uh danger just said i think that she helped to kind of rein dc in a little bit which was a much needed thing because typically rogan has the opposite effect so it was nice It it was a good little change and uh i think we'll pass that over to no special now (sighs) 
it's about damn time. I don't know about you guys, but I was getting pretty pretty annoyed, you know, more often than not, listening to the broadcast as of late, you know. Granted, they do have moments when they do shine through or it's just the right, you know, form of their, you know, broadcast, uh, you know, plethora that they have available to them. Plenty of analysts, plenty of, uh, you know, color announcers and whatnot. It's, it, it just felt natural that she was there. And like everybody pretty much is saying so far, it just, we didn't have to worry about Laura being there. Matter of fact, I think that everybody was kind of more wondering how DC was going to be. Sure enough, like, DC showed up because I think he felt threatened, which is good. You know, usually if he's not threatened, he's uh, he's kind of just kind of there as one of the boys, as you would say, podcasting or fight casting, you know, which is which is fine. It's fine. But like uh, we could we do that on our own anyways. I don't think we need to listen to them kind of have a podcast as they're watching the fight. I'd rather listen to the broadcast, kind of actually dive into what is happening in the fight, give their actual input that's actually analytical to a point to give me insight into what we're looking at. That's that's their job. Laura can do her job. DC had to be forced to do his job. That just, you know, I'm happy about Laura being there and I'm happy that she's on the broadcast. I look forward to seeing her on more broadcasts from here on out. I'll give it to uh, Dave. Well, I will also agree that it's about damn time. Uh, you know, I've listened to her commentary a bit on the Contender series and uh, always thought it was pretty great. Um, she did some fight cards, like maybe a fight night or something earlier, and I thought she did great. I listened to that one. Uh, I did hear that. Like, I don't necessarily think DC felt threatened or anything like that. I just think that maybe um, she doesn't, like, give him anything goofy or stupid to feed off of. And I think maybe that, like, I heard that maybe she helps rein him in. Just by, uh, you know, her communication style, and it made him kind of more serious. Not necessarily like he was worried about it, but you know, it just the way that their styles meshed, it worked. But to be honest, like I didn't even listen to the commentary. I'm what you would probably call an educated fight fan, and so as an educated fight fan, I don't like to have the commentary on. Um, you know, just like Luke Thomas does that too. You know. It just kind of really slows you down and kind of like manipulates your views. So, I mean, that's Luke. Luke, Luke was giving us some serious praise in his uh, post fight. Yeah, so. I, yeah, I'm sure he listened to like Sanko to hear, yeah. but like he normally doesn't listen to commentary. It's something for educated fight fans. I think I think she was uh, from what I've, Dan Hardy. I think it was Dan Hardy's opinion. He was saying uh, that she was. T- Telling fans a lot of the basics kind of stuff, but not a not super basics, but um, pointing out things that you might not notice, uh, like uh, Izzy when he was being backed up, talking about how tiring it must be to fight on the back foot. You know how many rounds has Izzy fought on the back foot uh, while he was getting ready for this camp? Uh, so I thought that was uh, quite a good point she made. And then, like I said, she was trying to explain the Ezekiel choke. Uh, and I'm sh- I'm sure Luke Thomas mentioned a couple more as well. Uh, yeah, I would like to uh, shout her out for her preparation because from everything I've ever saw or read, she's a uh, notorious for very very thorough preparation. She takes a lot of notes. And uh, actually, I think I think it was an MMA junkie interview she did. Uh, she said that her preparation is what got her this far and she has no plans on stopping so more power to her on that because 
that's one thing DC is known for not doing is prep. So shout out Laura for the for the notes. She should take some notes. <laughs> she didn't even make any serious uh, faux pas on the thing on the show either, apart from uh, confirming that she doesn't want a six foot seven guy on top of her. So I'm afraid you won't. <laughs> you're out of Laura's uh, Laura's league. So I think uh, I don't know. Is there any other kind of funny, silly moments? Uh, any kind of comments you want to make on the things, such as uh, I mean, it was Ratke, shortest post-fight interview ever. DC uh, <sighs> ripped the mic off him, or you know, bit of a free-for-all at the end, guys. Go for it. Well, I'd like uh, I'll to start go on. Say I was kind of uh, dis- disappointed with the Australia crowd. I don't know if it like wasn't mic properly or something like that, but like I just felt like they didn't bring the energy at all compared to the recent Paris card or uh you know like the London cards or anything like that. I feel like they were kind of a letdown and might have failed their fighters on that card. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if part of that was them uh having to follow that Paris crowd last week. Yeah. Don't forget yeah. it it was nine AM in the morning there as well, wasn't it, when it started. So oh, maybe yeah. that has some effect. And it was a Sunday, yeah. What are you thinking? I do. I do have to. What are you thinking? Sorry, uh, I do have to give another little shout out to uh, the MMA guru and say, "Screw you, man! You cost me a pick on this card because I changed over to uh, Lane against Taffa on your uh, pick." <laughs> what? I, I, give it, I give him a shout out and he lets me down. What a bastard! You Sorry, no special. You, you're telling me that the MMA guru led you astray? What? Sure did. <laughs> to, to be fair, yeah, well, to be fair, we all assumed that a natural athlete would win that fight, but we forgot Tafa is a is a goddamn Samoan, and they hit hard. <laughs> I, I had Tafa in that one. I had Tafa all day. Tafa gang. <laughs> yeah, JK was, was JK was pretty funny in the chat after the Tafa one. I can imagine revenge for the eye poke. <laughs> you got it you got it though i mean damn yeah he he looked like mark hunt i'll be like if i'm gonna look at somebody as the rebirth of mark hunt that's the guy hey man it looked like the ref let him uh lay a couple extra shots in there too i think he also had money on it i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> it took him a while to get back to his feet afterwards <laughs> yep I. The only other thing I'd say is like, what the hell was up with uh, Radic Wreckage? Well, I don't know. I don't know how the kid from Chicago, right? Radkey. Radkey, thank you. I why him and Cape? Like you, you. I understand you want to, you know, come in and you know make noise. It's your, you know, Radkey is its debut um, on a on a prelim, and you know you're in somebody else's backyard. But like, dude, you're you're 33, going to be 34. You only have 10 fights to your career, and this is, like, where you happen to be currently. Good for you. You made it to the UFC. I don't know if this is the best way to start it. <laughs> the performance wasn't the best. I'll say that. I mean, it's it's Blood Diamond. I mean, it's, it's not like you, you had a whole lot to work with here, so you should have been able to finish him. And I, I, I'll say that, like, it, him and Cape, like, let's just go to the lowest denominator and just kind of just shout out ridiculous shit because, you know, 
we don't have anything else to say. You could just not say the thing. You could just not say the thing, and that's perfectly fine. Nobody would hate you any more or any less because of it. But you decided to kind of add more to your grave. Good for you. I mean, fighters are going to fight or do, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> the saddest part of it all is uh, reading all the comments on social media about it, and a lot of people were actually in support of it. You know, not surprising, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, he did, he did apologize, I believe, afterwards. So it obviously came out in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. They both issued apologies afterwards. Uh, no, apparently, I heard Dana talking about it, and he said that the guy had come out and apologized on his own. He was defending, uh, he, he said to himself, you know, we all make mistakes, obviously referring to uh, Slapgate. Uh, he said <laughs> it's how you handle it and how it, you know, you look after it afterwards. So. So yeah, all fairness to him. You know, he said we we employ adults. They're allowed to say what the hell they want to say. So all credit on both sides. Yeah. Uh, I think the fact that you know that he made the apology on his own obviously means he actually means that he's not being forced into uh, a corporate environment, as it were. Mm. I think it's fifty fifty. I mean, public pressure can do. You just also don't need to say it. You know. If you're an adult, I don't think you need a result to it. That's all. There's any number of words he could have selected to convey his uh, feelings without getting himself in hot water like that. He could have literally said that I like I could, you know, I'm going to piss on your grave. I'm going to like he said, I'm going to break your legs, Kai. I'm going to break your legs, Kai. Or like calling everybody in Australia a specific word. You could have literally all called them crocodiles. You could have called them snakes. You could have called them anything or kangaroos even like Sean Strickland was trying to look for a kangaroo to fight. Like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> you could have come up with a stupid thing, you know, it would have been fine. I just, I feel like there's no creativity when we're doing that, but that's all, you know. Did anyone, uh, did anyone think anything about the Malarkey fight? Because McDessie seemed quite upset with the result of 2-1. Did anyone think he won it? Oh, um, not necessarily. Oh. No, I think, it was I think it was close, but I thought it was clean malarkey win. I'll, I'll say this. Um, malarkey almost gave the fight away because he, he tried really hard to lose it. <laughs> I'll say that. I thought he, uh, I thought he tried to give the fight away after that you know, second round drop. And then as well as the third round, he almost kind of threw his game plan out the window where he was kind of actually landing low kicks, um, landing a couple of jabs, a couple of straight rights. You know, uh, he, he looked like he was doing okay. And then he just threw the game plan out the window as he was dropped, which kind of tends to happen when you kind of get your bell rung. But he, he let McDessie reestablish his range after getting dropped and then he tried to crash into his you know guard and sure enough like you looking at mcdessie start to take the fight away he even hurt him again in the third and i almost i almost thought like the rep like the judges were going to look at it and think okay well that drop was the most significant part of the fight in round two and then round three clearly goes to mcdessie round one you give to malarkey the second round is obviously the swing round looking at it you can argue malarkey lost the like from the second round like the end of the second 
with McDessie stealing it and, you know, giving a pretty clear round in round three. I, I thought it could have gone either way, in, in my opinion. But Malarkey did just enough. Plus, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shoot a coke. He probably got away with one. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure there was a little bit of home cooking on that one. Like, oh, we got to give one of our boys at least one of them. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, I think we're pretty much getting close to everything uh, being said about that card that we can say. Uh, so I guess uh, we'll be moving on on our next show to Notchia UFC Grasso versus Shevchenko 2, uh, which we can talk about next Friday. So for myself, Danger Mouse, from Lazy Bed, from No Special, and from, of course, Super Dave Fairtex, it's good night from us at Just Bleed Radio. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> 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 the Chuck Resilio talk had to give you 350,000 